This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And action! Hello and welcome to episode 361 of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk filmmaking. From indie film, to studio films, to TV, to documentary, to commercials, and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to royally F them up, in our very, very humble opinion. I'm Giles Alderson. I'm a writer, director, and a producer. And on this week's show, we have the director and screenwriter and producer and lyricist, John Carney, who's best known for his films Once, Begin Again, and Sing Street. And he's here to talk about his latest film, Flora and Son. Um, John Carney has been on my radar for a long time. I think he's a fantastic director. I think his voice is unique and I think he's got a lot to say. Uh, Flora and Son follows Flora, who's a single mum who is at war with her son, Max. Trying to find a hobby for Max, she rescues a guitar from a dumpster, from the trash, from the bin, uh, and finds that one person's trash can be a family's salvation. This film is so cool. It's an Apple TV Plus movie and it's on Apple TV now. I suggest you seek it out, indie filmmakers out there. You're going to love this. John Carney is just famous, super famous for making indie films shine, especially with music. Uh, This film stars Eve Hewson as Flora, Marcella Plunkett, Paul Reed, Amy Huberman, Jack Rayner, Sophie Vavasseur, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, uh, as Jeff and Oren Kinlan as Max. Uh, it is produced by Anthony Bregman, um, Peter Cron, Rebecca O'Flanahan, and Robert Walpole. And its cinematographer was John Conroy. Production designed by Ashley Jeffers, cast by Amy Rowan, and edited by Stephen O'Connell. Myself and Dom Lemoir, my fellow host for the day, sat down and chatted with John Carney, all about how he moved from short films and music videos to make his first feature film, November Afternoon, which he co-directed with Tom Hill. We also talk about why it's hard to find a niche as a director, um, writing characters, good and bad, how do you do it, why music helped him uh, in film, and his story, overrated. We also obviously dive into Flora and Son and where the idea came from. Uh, John himself was in the band uh, The Frames, and that's where he found his lead, Glenn Hansard, for his breakout movie, Once. It was made for £160,000, and it grossed over £7 million on its first three months of release. Um, Steven Spielberg 
is even quoted as saying it gave him enough inspiration to last the rest of the year. He then went on to direct Sing Street, which again starred Jack Rayner, uh, Marcella Plunkett, and guest of this very podcast, Lucy Boynton. From there, John moved to Hollywood a little bit to make the Kira Knightley and Mark Ruffalo starring film Begin Again, and then developed and produced and wrote and directed the TV series Modern Love. And now he's released Flora and Son. Um, how are you doing? How are you getting on? It's an interesting time, isn't it? The moment with the right strike sort of finished, SAG still ongoing. We don't know where we're at. It's odd. Uh, there's this feeling of don't know what's happening next. We're all we're all going through that right now. Um, but that doesn't mean you can't keep trying. That doesn't mean you should give up or blame anyone else or anything else. This is your career. And you have to grab it with both hands because no one else is going to do it for you. I reiterate that on so many podcasts, but it's true. The cavalry aren't coming. They're not going to come over the hill with beacons going, we must take your script, we must make your project, we must have that director. It's just not going to happen unless you bang down those doors. So bang down the doors. Make things happen right now. Um, if that, if you're trying to get an agent, right. Make it happen. Why do you want to be with that agent? What works for you with them? If you want to get a certain producer on board, what about their film? What is it about their films that makes you want to work with them? That's really important. I think a lot of filmmakers forget that. They just go, well, that producer made this film, so surely they want to come and work with me. No, it's a collaboration. It takes years to make a film. And you're with these people four years. So therefore, not just four years, it could be four years. In the case of The Dare, it was five. So you've got to like these people and you've got to want to work with them and they've got to want to work with you. And that's a collaboration and it takes time to establish those relationships but that doesn't mean right now you can't try that doesn't mean right now you should not be working on your projects and seeing how you can get them made whether that's a short film whether it's a tv series whatever it is documentary feature film it's out there for you to take it and make it happen i know it sounds easy me saying that but that's how i've done it i've found the money found people to work with i keep doing it keep doing it even now finding new people or that collaboration could work with them and i'm excited about a couple of projects that i'll tell you about very soon as soon as i can uh i was at the bfi um london film festival this week i saw some fantastic films the bike riders jeff nichols the director and sarah green the incredible producer um joins us for a podcast episode uh, as well as the killer david fincher's new film we have his team joining us as well joining you on the podcast because you'll be listening to it um and i also got to sit and listen to scorsese mr martin scorsese or sir really if he was english um talk with edgar wright for an hour and a half about filmmaking and even though i feel like i've heard so many of these stories before it felt fresh it felt exciting it felt inspiring and he just turned and held the room this wonderful gate that you had if any of you listening out there were there as well it was an incredible uh, moment and you just turned and said you know you're the creators now you can go out and make stuff and it's so true um you can do it anyway for now um let's get to it this is john carney um an absolute legend in my eyes wonderful man great director uh, very humble learned from his mistakes and and he set his stall out and if you like once, if you love Sing Street, you will love Flora and Son. Fantastic performances. Um, so there we go. Right. This is John Carney 
myself, Charles and Dom Lemoy. Um, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. How you doing, John? You all right? Good. Very well, thanks. How are you? Very well. It's a pleasure to meet you. Mm. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, we absolutely loved the film. I mean, yeah. uh, usually the, the sort of the PR companies ask for a, a feedback of the film, and you give them something, uh, give them something short to say about it. And, and my my feedback was that I was I was actually disappointed the end credits arrived because I was I was enjoying it so much. <laughs> it was such a such a wild, fun, hilarious, um, yeah, ride. I mean, it was incredible. Yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I don't know how you kind of describe it, really. Uh, like a kitchen sink i don't know what it is a kitchen sink musical comedy drama i don't I have no idea i don't even, you know you just kind of jump in and try and make something original but it's interesting to hear you describe it in that way mm. yeah yeah i felt the same mm. i was i was dying to know what you know what happened next it was that kind of like yeah, yeah but 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 don't go now <laughs> i love yeah. these characters <laughs> why are we yeah, going I now know. yeah which is great, I suppose. I think, I think that's it. I suppose, I suppose it, it's it's how well written. I mean, the, the the lead, you know, Eve is absolutely incredible, but so is the boy and the dad's perfectly cast. Um, I, I think it's the strength of the characters that makes it so, and the actors that makes it so incredibly mm. compelling. I mean, just to sort of start there, maybe, like, were they always in mind for, for the casting or did they sort of develop with the, the script? You mean the actors or the characters? Yes, the actors, yeah. No, the actors weren't. Um, I, I tend to sort of not think too much about who might play roles because it's sort of, it frees you up if you if you don't think that way, you know, if you're just kind of, um, and then you might always change dialogue a little bit when you get a particular actor. Um, so no, they, they all came on board, you know, late into the process, just before filming really and putting the whole thing together. Eve, I met on Zoom and we had a really good laugh talking about you know, the crazy, funny Dublin people that we've both met, you know, in that, that only come from Dublin. Mm. And it was really funny about that and really got those characters. And um, there is a strange Dubliner thing, which is kind of um, great to be around and very funny. And some people see it and get it, and some people don't notice that it's there, but the people that do, you know, Eve is definitely one of them. And then Joe was a funny... I I... I always saw Joseph Gordon-Levitt as a sort of shirt and tie guy. Yes, um, I know what you mean. You need mm, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so I thought it was like really him. My God, I, I thought it was more, you know, homeless, beard, messy. You know, maybe I don't know, like a not Bradley Cooper, but like a good-looking, but a bit lost, and something missing, some some feeling yeah. of like regret and failure or something like that, and somebody who was a bit ragged and but you know he joe and i had some great email conversations and he he really knew the guy you know it was like i know that guy i know where he is he's up in topanga county or canyon he mm. i could tell you the smell outside his his, his <laughs> house i can describe yeah. his his whole past to you and that was very helpful because even though i've been to la a good bit i'm still an irish guy Whereas he sort of kissed it. You know, he's lived his whole life in LA. He just knows it. And and that was really valuable to making this character really plausible because you're only going to see him on Zoom. Mm. So you have to go that high by him. The second you see him, you're like, yeah, that's the guy. It's not some guy putting on an LA accent and pretending to be a musician. Mm. Uh, yeah. And then Orphan, that kid, was a is a newcomer. 
I knew his dad, who's an actor in Dublin. Um, and, uh, and then Jack Rayner is an old mate of mine who I would love to put in every film if he was free. He's just really great smile, great charm. It's a great um, charm. Great. Yeah. Charm. And that was it. Those, those four, you know, my, my wife is also in the movie as her best friend, but it's a relatively small uh, role. Oh, uh, yeah. It's a little chamber piece. It's like, it's, it's a super simple sort of structure. Hmm. Yeah, it's fantastic. I think you've you've always done that with your films. You've sort of brought these casts or these actors into your world, and it ju- it just enhances everything. It's like part of it. You just feel that it's part of the furniture and part of everything that you're creating and making. And it's it's like they never didn't live like that. It's like they. I feel like I could go there mm. and they'd be there in those places. And this has happened with all your films, and it's quite an amazing skill. I think to have, and it's about you as a great director, but also casting extremely well and finding people who fit in these boxes and these places and with no worries. Is this always been something? Because I know you co-directed when you first started um, making films and obviously you've done shorts before that and lots of music videos, but was this something that grew over time or was it something that you always managed to find? You always managed to find these gems and these perfect people for your amazing films, to be fair. Um, I think that probably, you know, my, my generation is probably going to be the last generation who gets to like, fuck up and experiment and fail in private, you know, sure. because we're shooting on high eight and yep. VHS and four or five people were seeing our, our early <laughs> attempts. Sure. You know, you died a death, but it was like, at least it was my mother and father and a few friends who came to sit on her couch in Dublin on, with, you know, to watch our comedy sketches or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Learned a lot before I really got 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 a chance at making a kind of a semi proper movie. That's um, not to say that my early movies aren't embarrassing. They are, but they're they're not absolutely awful. They're the not that... awful at all. November afternoon, etc. Um, yeah, Park. Yeah. Look, it shows you can tell a story and and make a feature film you know they're definitely not embarrassing i think they're really well made yeah well they're okay but certainly there was ones before that you know sketches and comedy films and stuff Uh, i see yeah and and um you know you do learn and i think i think um it's funny filmmaking like you begin and you don't know where you're going to end up you're like i i think you know there's a lot of like if you look i was looking at christopher nolan and thinking of his first movie following following yeah i was looking at that thinking about him again and thinking that he probably didn't know that he'd be directing oppenheimer uh (laughs) yeah adapting this huge novel about this 21st century guy and you know he he probably had a number of horses in the race for what he might be Mm. and it kind of made me think Greta gerwig you know Mm -hmm. when she was an album they're probably just and I don't really know. I love movies and I could be this, I could be sci-fi, but maybe this, I'm a bit deeper than that. I'm a bit funnier, whatever. And then I think probably what happens in filmmaking is you start to realize I can only learn one thing really well. Mm. I can't, you know, it's very rare that you get a director like somebody like Scorsese or somebody who can like hoggle between, um, you know, psychological thriller gangster movie comedy mm. historical drama back to thriller back yes. to Cape <laughs> remake which is like a comedy horror mm-hmm. back to like historical again back to sci-fi with shutter island or set he's like he seems to be able to do everything but there's not a lot of people you know hitchcock yeah. 
master of suspense. Ingmar Bergman, master mm. of existential grief. Uh, you know, Christopher Nolan, uh, quite good at heavy sci-fi with a weird, you know, mm. Greta Gerwig. Mm. Uh, and I think what, what I, my little path, which and I'm not comparing myself to any of those mega, mega hit people, my little furrow seems to be uh, just what you described, you know, very bespoke, specific casting, um, mm. nice little characters, not a big story, and a, and, a, and a little a little bit of tone and music, and that's kind of it. But I, I think I have become good at it, but I think it's only because I jettisoned all the other careers in film that I th- that I hoped I would have when I was starting off you know mm. but, but I suppose really it, it comes down to the fact you're you're very precise with characters and telling very human stories um, and kind of getting to the bottom of that drama um, and that that seems to be the the sort of the common thread is is very likable and I suppose you know there's all of the characters in this they're they're very likable but i think they're likable because they're like they're flawed um they're, they're not like perfect examples i mean eve's such a brilliant lead because she's she's wild she's a bit naughty she's uh you know as a mother she she has some brilliant traits and some slightly dubious traits and i think that actually makes her like really likable because she's a she's a very strong but also very relatable kind of leader and i think it's the same with you know the father as well he's kind of unreliable but you still like him and and the kids you know has has his his sort of quirks and charms but he's still uh, quite likable i mean is is that always part of the process is creating these kind of very nuanced but you know conflicted characters i mean it's an interesting question uh, i think that's we're living at a time now, aren't we, where it was like, when I was growing up, it was black and white. It was Dynasty in Dallas, and there was a bad guy, there was yes. a good woman. Mm. There was a, you know, it's pretty broad. And, and uh, you know, cinema and TV was spending a long time with these pretty pretty much straightforward characteristics and, uh, um, you know, rooting for the good guy. Um hating the bad guy and seeing him get his comeuppance or, you know, and then you moved into there's various stages of like film noir where the baddie became the lead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, and you know, cause early thirties, forties movies was all about the good guy or the good girl. And the baddie was the bad guy. And you started to go into this more realistic thing, which was like, well, let's watch bad people do things so that was kind of film noir let's watch people fail like let's watch burglars let's watch fred mcmurray you know in in dublin Denmark. you know let's watch him murder somebody and the, the bad guy is what you're looking at mm-hmm. yep always come up and in the end and have to die and then you went into various different periods and then like the sopranos i think is probably the first thing where you're like this guy's not gonna die mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. Ordinary, extraordinarily flawed. You know, he murders somebody in that show. He's he's yeah. an awful human being. Yes. Um, he is what he's extremely watchable. And then I think there were a number of knockoffs of that, like where you had to have a dark character and you couldn't just have a good person. You had to give them some grief for, and then and that became very stock. And there's a there's a thing now. Uh, there's a there's a reaction I think to to all of those years of good guy and bad guy where like you, you, you kind of blur the lines between good and bad. And I think that's gone a bit too far as well, 
what I what I find I do is when I'm writing a character, um, I don't think of her as good or bad, but I do. I, I I do like to sort of go into my own um, psyche and my own guilt or my own anxiety or worry about things and jot down something that I've been thinking, which could be slightly, you know, questionable, like about parenting, like, would you ever hit your kid? You know, would I ever, like, would I ever, you know, say, you know, use really bad language in front of my kids? And And, and of course I have. And I put that into a script with like a young woman doing it. And suddenly I think that's more it. I'm I'm doing it from the point of view of something that I feel like I could kind of do that myself. Like I'm not like to murder somebody, Mm -hmm. but I definitely um, question some things that I've done in the past, question some thoughts, question various things. And I think, we do live in that time now of like, you know, social media and you're, you're curating your own image and I'm just a good person. I never do bad people. And therefore I'm, I'm, it's okay for me to be outraged by what you did because you did a terrible thing. And then that person feels terrible and has to make an apology and be all good again. Mm. Um, you know, probably generally kind of an okay idea of, of being contrite and confession and all of that. But, but it leads to these very, very fake ideas that you're which i thought we'd gotten rid of which is like oh you did something i didn't like that i didn't like that word and i didn't like that so i don't like you or you vote for trump i don't like you or you voted for brexit so i you know like so many irish people i know will like hate anybody who voted for breakfast for breakfast i said for brexit Brexit, for breakfast you're not allowed to eat breakfast yet (laughs) you're not allowed to eat brexit either (laughs) you know and it's like a smug sort of like oh and then you meet people in england and you're like oh there's a million reasons why people were fooled by brexit Mm -hmm. really good really nice people people that you would happily sit down with you know maybe you know and 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 it's and it's probably the same with trump Right. Mm. Probably yeah. the same. He gives people a great sense of closure and simplicity and they less scared of the size of the world. He just gives you this definite thing. Mexicans are shit. Muslims are pretty crap. He just gives you these like broad things that are probably very easy to, mm. but all the people who voted for him aren't terrible. They've got a, they did a stupid mm. thing. Mm. But they, they do. Well, it for I think. A I think a lot of it. Yeah. it a lot of the. A lot of the time, it's. Um. I mean, we're not, not not get too political, but it's. It's looking for something that feels comfortable. Um. And and like what you know. Uh, and and I suppose it's 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 change that scares a lot of people, and that's what those those kind of icons uh, symbolize, and and why they get people behind them as well. Mm. But you brought that to your writing. Yeah, you should be writing characters. I think who um who can ex- I, Yeah, I don't know. Actually, it's a very interesting point. Like. When you're when you're writing a character in a in a in a film, um, you don't want to be judgy. Mm. At the same time, you don't want to just be mischievous. Mm. Yeah. And like put a bit of like sometimes I think like writers like Wellbeck or something like that are just being like willfully mischievous. Mm, I know what you mean. Yes. You know, like, oh, I'm just gonna put, have him call somebody a slut. Yeah, but at the same time, yeah, you're you're yeah. doing your recycling. <laughs> Wait, for the sake of it yeah yes yeah, or you're experimenting with your own shit and put, giving it to somebody else to say but like mm. 
it's saying it yourself, but you kind of are saying it yourself. Yes, you're saying it yourself because it's in your yeah, it's in it's your work. Kind yeah. Of your, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, I think that's that's really interesting. I think for writers, and I think it's probably a problem when they're writing bad characters, as it were, and not everyone's got their like you say. There's the grey area, but yeah, that that is an interesting point. And I think a lot of your films, as much as they might be sweary, they are deep down great people. Deep down, we want mm. to be their friends. Yeah. Deep down, we want them to succeed. And I think that is something magical because that's not easy to pull off. No, that's that's right. But just the thing is, probably most people can go either way. Mm. All of us. The real fucking yeah. thing that yeah. probably I'm taking my characters on a good day and showing you, you know, the music can influence you can you can. Mm. You can be, you know, if you're open to it, you can be influenced and altered by very positive things in the world as well as the negative. Yes. And I guess I'm my film. There's a continuity in the films that I'm finding where that that that's re, I'm recycling that and figuring that out because I probably believe in the idea of like you can. I mean, you know, these guys are coming up with such interesting theories now about the brain and the gut and you know kind of contradicting these really limited ideas of how we all behave the way we do and why we do. Um, like, how can I be the most privileged person in the world? I was thinking the other day during COVID or, you know, uh, like we realized our family are the most privileged people in the world. That there's no more, like David Geffen isn't actually any, hap any more privileged by his yacht than I am. Mm -hmm than we are in this situation we're white we're met you know we're, we have money we have food we live in 2023 we have a house there's, there's no better scenario for a human being and we're still we still we wake up some days and we're like i want to punch my neighbor mm -hmm. yeah my neighbor i feel this thing and then yeah. <laughs> you point at your neighbor then as well <laughs> he's at the window now well, le left, or, left or right side just for the audience <laughs> <laughs> and for your neighbors as well <laughs> left, left neighbor is great right neighbor that side yeah no. <laughs> better watch out <laughs> well that's what are always taught to say that and aren't they like you're rowing with one of the neighbors on either side yeah because everybody is rowing with the neighbor on neighbor on but, either side yes yeah. no but in, the neighbor's opposite though let's not talk about no, that. let's not go there yeah but interestingly like you mentioned there with like in flora and son for instance like uh Eve's character, Flora, if something had happened to her son, let's say, during one of the music videos or that he tried to get in with the, the gang or the guys who were making the music videos, something happened to him, like he got stabbed. Well, it changes the film entirely. She might then go on a revenge. It becomes mm. just, so I totally get what you mean by we get a snapshot of the day in the life where they're trying to be the best version of themselves they haven't yeah. gone down the route of which you could do that could easily happen but they're not your films actually in all of them yes but i idea that i that i feel is like music was definitely a very significant um kind of uh lifeline okay. when i was a teenager because mm, i didn't okay. arts i wasn't academically good I, I think I was quite lost for you know, the 30, 12, 13, 14, around that time. And, f you know, I tried every drug and I tried to drink. I, like, I tried to get into trouble. It's not like I had a moral hierarchy or anything over anybody else. I, I tried to be bad. Mm. And I just 
So I didn't, you know, I couldn't stomach drink and I didn't particularly like drugs and I wasn't fighting. I wasn't a bully. I, I don't think I wasn't music, but I was bored and I was frustrated and music definitely steered me into like, you know, practice, ritual, um, mm, commitment, sense of trying to get better. Mm-hmm. Um, so many positive things, you know, and new friends and exploring you know going into town in dublin when i was 15 and like looking at buskers and suddenly musicians were people i was interested in or you'd see a person singing in a music shop and you'd gravitate towards them you wouldn't have a year ago so i guess i'm banging on the same drum about music being the thing that that pushes you into the light just a little bit was that the genesis of this film was kind of going back to those those childhood formations and and the music i mean what how did how did the actual idea for the you know the final script idea come about and also what is your process in terms of putting a, a you know a film together do you start with treatments do you discuss things how, how do you kind of make that genesis before you get to that first draft well, I think it's a little bit different each time, but the, the, the origins of this story were very simple. I was walking home and I passed a skit uh, or a dumpster, as they say in American, mm. and uh, there was an amplifier in it. And I have a habit. And if, if I ever get rich in life, I will still do this. And I have done this when I've been flush with money. If there's a skip with something in it, yeah. there's some Dublin thing in me. And I don't know whether it's Dublin or what it is, but it's but it's a thing that I will climb into a skip and take some, if there's something being thrown out. Mm, and it could mm. be useful. Yeah. I think it's like, maybe it's something in, in our DNA in Ireland. That's like from the famine, from hard times, from immigrating and from, go, you know, there's like, there's somebody throwing something out. That's yeah. crazy. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I would always take that stuff. So I took an amp home from a, from a, from a skip and I brought it home and cleaned it up, wired it. And it worked. And I was like, Jesus, some fool was going to throw this out. And then my wife came in and she was like, you have five apps. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. Well, right. I got six. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, you know, I, 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 something new will come of this. Because I, I'm fixed in 1989 where there was like a recession going on in Ireland. Mm. We had no money. There was, you, you, you know... You were doing anything you could to get a few quid to get a cup of coffee or to buy guitar strings. It was a different time. And I froze at that point of like, you're throwing that out? I'll have it, mm-hmm. even though I don't need it. And then I thought, well, if the amp isn't important to me. What if what if somebody was to find something in a skip? And it was during COVID as well. as like, what if you found something in a skip that did open up a new world for you? And then that immediately was like, okay, so it's not an amplifier, it's a guitar. And that looks better, firstly. He does, yeah, for sure. And I went home with that image of a guitar sticking out of a skip, and I said, okay, so who takes that guitar? And then I was like, maybe it's a guy. And then I was like, well, I'm writing something else about a guy who's a musician. Maybe, oh, that's cool. There's a woman, she's standing in a skip, pulling out this guitar, like Excalibur. Mm. That's it. And maybe she's... You know, to begin with, that's a story because I see, like, why is this? Well, this is no normal woman. This isn't an average, like, middle-class woman who's climbing onto a skip pulling out a guitar. Oh, she's pulling it out for her son. And then I would go home and write, okay, so this is a son. And then I would start to write a bit of dialogue between them. And I go, okay, I'm the son, and that's my mother. So now I have a bit of my own person. But I'll change that a little bit and make, you know, 
And then one by one, you know, okay, she drops the kid home. So she's got some, and then he rejects the, it kind of comes together and you come up with characters around this center point. But the center point is really simple, which is, um, imagine any of us found something that really truly were to give us a lease of life and, and like particularly COVID, like, can you imagine finding something like that? I mean, you guys are younger, but like certainly where I am in my life, like it would be amazing mm-hmm. to cover, you know, and I feel like drinking and alcohol and drugs and addiction and Netflix and all that stuff, like reasons to not find something. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like it's a it's a cloud that sort of yeah gets in the way. I mean, I, I kind of saw the music as like a way out of their their circumstance and their their surroundings. It's like even with the the local uh, garage band and the local rappers and everything, it's 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 all an opportunity to get outside of their sort of stuck routines, I guess, and 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 lifestyles. Um, mm. And it's this it is this almost like golden ticket um you know to a new life music is them yeah it's a perfect way of looking at it it, it, it is a golden ticket mm. and it bonded them as well and i think music does mm. do that anytime you have a conversation what music do you like or you go to an event or concert or even if it's just to the pub and there's music in the background you know it, we do talk about that and i think that's a beautiful way to connect regardless of how successful you are as a musician about the connection yeah. and you know you know, and I think that was so beautiful in this film, Flora and Son. It it really was. And again, you you've done this in so many of your films like this, and it's such an like I say, it really is a skill. Now, when you are writing, just to 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 go on that, and again, feel free if you don't want to talk about the writing right now. But um, in terms of how you piece it together, as Dom asked, do you is it like you say you've come up with your idea, you've you've gone through that? Do you now block out the whole? story do you do little bits do you just you know vomit draft it out how's what's your process because you've written for like all your life so it's really interesting to know yeah i would normally find that i mean some writers are very good at mapping out their story and knowing where the plot goes and i I, i'm not a big believer in story i think story is overrated and i think that the idea of you know story 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 i think that's a hollywood gimmick that's been sort of sold back to us. It's very convincing. And it is, yeah. Very tempting. And you do need some form of narrative. I think you do, but you need very little. And having children made me realize mm. just how little you need if you're good. And actually, they're not going to remember the details of the story. They remember being told the story and the town and the fun of their father or mother reading them a story, making a yes. story up. And I yeah. think that we've become so inebriated by plot and story that, that we've become very good at uh, working out these really terrific stories, but there's, no, there's, there's a lack of heart in, in an awful lot of them. Yeah, I would write dialogue, and I would find my story being suggested and the, the 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 plot points or the inciting incidents are being suggested by lines of dialogue that people say, not not a structure that I come. Or, usually, I would just start. I like this character of Flora, and I like her going home to her son. And I would write a scene, and in that scene, then her, you know, his father would be born out of the dialogue of just writing about them. To oh, that's good. There's a dad. Mm-hmm. 
Oh, that's great. But I did never sat down and thought I'm going to write a thing about a mother, a single mom, her son, and her, the dad came out of the dialogue. And then the best friend came out of the dialogue. Do you, I mean, just to just to go straight into what, what you're saying about the, the story, would you because I mean, I, I felt that your character development was incredibly strong. So it's almost like you're you're sort of making up for the lack of import, well, maybe less importance on the story by having characters that really go through a journey and a process. And that is the kind of story is, is how they develop and, and sort of come together through the, through the script with, with that. Does that make sense or, or is that not, not kind of where you're coming from? I think story is easy. We could sit here all day talking about story. Mm. Um, but what's a little bit harder is to create likable, plausible characters that, uh, you know, reaffirm life mm. and, and who, who, uh, you know, make you feel like it's worthwhile. And they're the kind of characters that I respond to, um, on screen. It's not, it's not the stories of what happened because if you, here's the, here's the truth. If we believed that, if you went to any migrant in the UK or in Ireland at the moment, yeah. right, and asked, her for her story her story would fucking blow all our minds mm. like in terms of like dickensian stories of like l- luck fate chance abuse violence kindness any story of any immigrant or migrant would would blow our stories mm. out of the water a middle-class white kid from dublin who had a happy upbringing mm. the yes. end this story things happen to me but they're not yeah. So really, if we really did believe in stories as much as we think we do, we would be we we would be embracing those people into our worlds and our lives and letting them enrich them without question. Mm. But we but so many people are resistant to that. But so if that was the thing that we were looking for in enter- I don't think that's what we're looking for at all in entertainment or film or 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 I think for some reason we do, for some weird reason, we do need the kind of coat hanger to hang, to hang stuff on. We do need a kind of an arc of a story of some sort of thing evolving, but not really that. And that's why my movies are laughably almost plot thin. They're like, and sometimes I look at them and I'm like, really, I'm going to tell a school band who have like, that is so old hat, but like, it's not about, it's about, the tone and it's about the believability and the fun mm. that's all it is for me it's not really i could probably sit down and write tons of really good stories and plot twists or i certainly feel like i could learn it but i couldn't learn how to do um you know what what like what's happening on like mad men mm. yeah all the twists and stories a and- movie i could never learn that because it's brilliant and it's so specific yes. um I think anybody could learn to, 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 to the, the, the fundamentals of storytelling. It's, it's, it's pretty basic. So I think that's how that, that in answer to your question, you know, that's how I work. It's like characters, um, suggesting their own, uh, story arcs and other characters then being born out of like dialogue and humor and putting people into just slightly twisting things and turning things and looking at it from a, a funny point of view. And sort of taking it from there. But I don't go to work with a map of where I want to end up. 
And I suppose that's a that's a good point because it, it doesn't have to be. I mean, people think that everything has to be incredibly complicated in terms of plot lines, but actually, if it's if it's you know a simple through line that's very well executed and it comes from the characters. You, you're really you're joining the journey of the characters. That's who you care about in the film. It it can be the most complex, interesting, crazy, you know, convoluted storyline in the world. But if you don't like or believe the characters, you're going to be lost. You know, at the first tiny plot hole. Whereas you'll actually forgive a lot more if the characters are you know utterly fascinating mm. to watch, uh, and, and you're sort of joining them on that journey. I don't think I'm particularly good at that. I'm just saying the Dickensian, you know, the the the. the st- the idea that you know everything has to be as good as a Dickens story, um, mm. that's feeding, I think, a very one-out. I, and I love Charles Dickens, by the way. I'm not bitching, you know, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's feeding the need. Yes. Like, like the human being is a is a munching machine for narrative. We just we eat, but it doesn't enlighten us, and it it can mm. often become very sentimental and very one-dimensional. And it can appeal to more base instincts of anger, sympathy, withdrawing from a character, um, crying, all these big... But I'd rather... I, 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 I always rather watching things which confound me and, like, make me feel like that. It's why, like, I think that... Um, um, what's her name? Uh, Joanna Hogg's movies are so fascinating because it's like, why did she just do that? Yes. What? Souvenir. Doesn't, there's no story yeah. happening. There's nothing. Right. It's like people doing interesting things because we leave the house, every, you know, we leave mm. the house every day. Yeah. And, you know, you can have a, you can turn one way, you have a bad day, you can follow something free. Yes. Which is, which is absolutely wonderful. But how, I suppose, do you get those films made? Tom, yeah. have you heard of Rec Deck? What's Rec Deck? Yeah, it's R-E-C-D-E-K, Rec Deck. It's an app where you can get all your friends' favourite TV and film recommendations in one place. Like, if we were talking about a show you loved, I could just say, oh, would you mind Rec Decking me that, Dom? And you know to send it out on Rec Deck. I can then read all about it, see what you thought, where it's on, and add it to my watch list. So I never have to scroll through my shitty notes app or WhatsApp trying to remember who told me to watch what? Exactly! That would be useful. I know! You can also subscribe to publications like The Guardian, The Times, even IndieWire, and get their top reviews sent straight to your deck. I guess it's just kind of making sure I know what's really worth checking out. And I can add the ones I like to look at on my watch list. Yes! You basically create your own watch list from all of these top recommendations, as well as your friends' faves. Kind of like Letterboxd, but for TV. <gasps> Tom, that's exactly right. There's loads of info on there, like streaming service, IMDb rating, director cast, runtime, etc. You can leave comments on shows for your friends. There's even a scene list, so you can keep track of the shows you love. That does sound great. I might download it now. <laughs> R-E-C-D-E-K? Question mark. I feel like RecDeck could be the single best way our industry can find TV and film at home to suit our own tastes, you know? I do know. No more doom-scrolling or dom-scrolling Netflix. Other streaming devices are, services are available. Oh, I'm with, I'm with you, Charles. I feel like I already love RecDeck. Well, there's a new company spreading the film joy. We should do an ad for them. Oh! <gasps> 
but who would you play if we did? I'd play you. Okay, well then I'd play you. Probably best. Great. Well, well that's that sorted. The two friends briefly <laughs> chuckle and wink at each other. Anyway, what else is on the agenda? The two podcast hosts move on to less important matters, confident they have each played their role as they have done for much of their lives to perfection. Giles being Giles and Dom being Dom. Oh, we weren't supposed to read that bit. <laughs> <laughs> the end. The end. Rec Deck. So listen, um, this is my mate Ed Rigg. He set up Rec Deck. Us doing a funny advert aside uh, is for them. Uh, he wrote it, actually. So we read what he wrote, but... Made it funny because we're idiots. Yeah, basically. Um but Rec Deck is available now. Link to that is in the show notes. It is a really cool app. It is. Ignore a terrible advertising for it yeah r-e-c-d-e-k dot com right deck there you go another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check planning for what's next and how to save for it that's where bank of america can help for your financial to-dos bank of america has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals get started at one of our local financial centers or 24 7 in our mobile banking app Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. eBay Motors is here for the ride. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only, exclusions apply. Because it is something that our audience will be going, thank you, finally, someone's saying, I don't need to follow the need to put beats here, I can tell the story I want to tell. But they're also going, but how do I sell that story to studios, investors, da, da, da. how did it work for you? How do you think it happened um because obviously you'd made your first two features and then you made a nice nice juicy in terms of budget feature and then came down again for once if yeah. you like uh in terms of budget level a little bit It'd be really lovely for you to talk about how you got those films made and how you went i'm just gonna go make once so let's make this happen i mean that's a very interesting point in my life where i definitely had given you know being a proper filmmaker a shot and i had been lucky enough to get the, the film that you're referring to there on the edge, you know, and there was mm. kind of like a studio indie movie. Yeah. Killian Murphy starring, right? Murphy yeah. in the first role. Mm. And, uh, I got this very lucky break. I had made a few small things and I got this lucky break to make this film and I made it. And then I made a TV show with my brother and, and my colleague. And that was a success. And, mm. I came out of those two things um, feeling like I wasn't quite enjoying uh, how much of a job this felt like now. And I'm not, I didn't sign up for being a filmmaker to like clock in, do recce's, be responsible, shoot the script under budget and be told you're a good boy or you're a bad director or you're this or that and reviewed in that way. And, and I, I struggled with that, but I also felt like um, I wasn't particularly good at being be, being a proper filmmaker. I felt like I had to kind of go back to 
basics with with uh um filmmaking and really feel like i was just a guy with a camera in my hand and um no bells and whistles i found having dolly tracks and lenses and cranes and that stuff that we crave for as filmmakers, you know, we crave as filmmakers. I found them distracting and I found them a bit unnecessary. And I found it very hard to be kind of authentic to my worldview with all of that structure um, behind me. And I still to this day show up at work. And when I see like five trucks parking up with gear in them, I, 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 I hate it. I would, I, I just feel like, Oh, this is a job now. Like, I feel like I'm building a road or something here. And, and there's a way straight and it has to be painted and it has to follow the, and that's not what I, not what I want or not what I signed up for. I much prefer the idea of, you know, just being a person with a camera in their hand, their friends or their actors, their mates are helping out. And it's a, all a bit of a continuation of the spirit of, childhood and of creativity when you're like in your first band and nobody cares and you're just you know it's to try and i guess now artificially engineer a sense of freedom and a sense of uh uh and i just followed that sorry to answer your question you know i, I just followed that idea with making once and said i don't care how much money i have i know that this story is good and it's sweet and it's i can do it well and I know that this song is great and um, people will enjoy seeing the structure of a musical, uh, like an old Hollywood musical, if they don't know they're looking at it. And if I could kind of apply a handheld sort of Nouvelle Vague, Lars Van Trier sort of approach to a musical, that's something. And whether it was big or small, I had no idea. But I definitely knew that was something. Because normally you associate handheld camera with hard, heavy-hitting yeah. drama and trailing yeah. and all that and anti But I thought, like, what if you took, like, a, you know, a, a, a Gene Kelly vibe? You know, like, boy meets girl, there's heartache, they sing together, he goes away. What if you took quite a conventional musical idea but you you made it kind of like um a dogma yeah. movie or a budget french movie and that was my star that i kind of followed for it and, and followed it relentlessly and then we just got really lucky with the timing for that movie i'd be interested to know the the distribution route of once as well how you how you sort of ended up that where it got to i think what happened was in my career if i'm being honest i think that I followed one very simple idea. And I, 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 cause, I, and I believed in that idea, um, which was people will enjoy a low budget musical. And I felt like I knew that because, because you think it was like 14 or 15 years ago, nobody had seen a handheld gritty musical with songs. It was, it was yeah. original yeah. as a concept. But I could have just as easily said, you know, I want to do a horror film. And I was really interested in the idea of like the Blair Witch Project and those kind of movies and Halloween. I'd love to have made 
a really gritty horror movie that was like really scary but profound or something like yeah. that. But, yeah, but because my this. my career path with once we got really lucky and the timing was incredibly good. It was like people just didn't know what to make of it in a cool way. And they were like, that feels fresh and it feels new. And then once I did that, I kind of started to realize I should stick. Like, I know that and I should stick right. to that with it. Obviously, you can go and do it with Mark Ruffalo and Kira, or you can do it with yeah. kids back at home. But no, or you can do it with Eve. Or mm. But it's the same. It's not that it's a formula. It's, it's a worldview and it's an approach. Um, and I did it again. We did it again with Flora, which was like, let's keep the budget low, make it the way we want to make it, and then go out and try and sell it. Yes. So you, and as to, to answer Dom's question a little bit then with Flora and Son, have you, are you already, when you're going, right, I think I've got myself a, a script that feels good to me. Are you then going to Apple? Are you then going to, with your producers to say, oh, talk us through that? Yeah. No, no, not at all. Actually, with, with, you realize with these little movies, you kind of have to make them with private money and make them small because you're never going to be able to well two things you're never going to be able to pitch them to a big company like apple or universal or whoever well and then if they did give you the money i don't think you'd be able to make it really in the free way that they need to be made and then you sell them. that's what i do yeah learn to like mm -hmm. have not a lot of money make your vision do your thing and that's the way to show it. it's like painting a painting. I have to, I can't give you a draft of it. It's like this, I have to do it. And then you try and yes. sell it. And that's worked out for me. I've done that with all of the films. We go out and then we sell it afterwards and they, they've all sold. Okay. Um, and so that's, that, that's the kind of the way we, we did it. We, we wanted to keep our overheads down and the budget down and do what we wanted to do. And then luckily, you know, we got a company who are pretty cool at, selling stuff like this and are interested in it and mm -hmm. genuinely enjoy it um which is the key i think to this relationship is that the, the, the people at apple seem to genuinely like the movie it's not like yeah. something that they wanted to win because like as you can see the movie is not it's it's kind of like what it's that's it's such a little you know but it has a big heart and it is it's a universal mm -hmm. story all either been a mother or, or a father, or we've been a kid. You know, that's how we get to the earth. It's yeah. through our no, it's fantastic, John. Florence Sun is a fantastic movie. And so Dom's got one uh, final question for you. Yes. Just if you had any advice from your, maybe to give your earlier self, uh, trying to break into the industry and make you maybe your first feature or get up to that next level, what would it be? I mean, I, you know, I have people in my life now who are young who I'm trying to give advice to in my family and stuff. And I'm like, what I would have given my younger self for the, 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 the tech that's at our fingertips now. Mm, yep. Agreed. Like just, I would have loved it. And, and I think it's the most exciting time to be an artist in filmmaking now, right? Because you can make films in so many different ways. Mm. There's no rules. Um, like my niece is a, is a sta she's doing stand up comedy at the moment, and I'm thinking like, you know, you're doing stand up. It's working really well for you. You could shoot a film on an iPhone. You can write yes. it on your laptop. You can edit it on your desktop. You can design the posters. Yeah, everything yourself. Exactly. Yeah. You can do all these amazing. And also, there's no rules of how to promote that. 
There's no rules. There's no male producer standing over your mm-hmm. studio telling you how it has to be. Yep. You're totally free. And um, that is very exciting. It's probably also a bit heady and a bit nerve-wracking. Definitely. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it's easy for young filmmakers, but it's definitely an exciting time. And it's definitely what I think we're going to want to see more of is individual voices, not groupthink, not committees, but real individual looks at life and interpretations of people's stories and their own life. Um for better or worse, you know, flawed and with all the flaws and all the pain of reality of the of the real the real story and the real life that people have experienced. Um, so I, I don't know. I think it's a very exciting time to pick up um, to pick up a camera and shoot something. Brilliant, amazing. Thank amazing. you, John. It's been an absolute pleasure and you know an incredibly compelling uh, and enjoyable movie as well. So best of luck with it. Really- like it that, that, because you know um it, it, it's 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 refreshing to meet you guys and i kind of know a little bit about what you do so i'm i'm kind of relieved that you like this movie that's really kind of you to say but yeah yeah i, I don't know who i made it for i kind of made it for my mother in a way mm. if i'm thinking honestly about her right about it like sort of so the fact that two hip young um <laughs> i will take that I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> this is no, honestly, we both love this movie because it, it, yeah, yeah. it's the kind of movie I would love to make. It fits into that sensibilities of, and loving what you're saying about making films as well. That to me is just mm. a delight. Our audience are going to love that. It's just like, yeah, go do it. Don't wait for anyone. Raise the money and go do it and then sell it. It's like, you can do it. You don't need permission. Yeah. And that's lovely to hear yeah. and amazing. Yeah. But, um, it's it's, true, I think. Yeah. I think so it's um, but listen, congratulations on everything you've done, but especially yeah. on Floor and Sun. I, I really hope it does as well yeah. as it should do. Um, and really appreciate your time, John Carney. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, guys. You. Cheers, Take John. Care. Take care. Bye. 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 Ah, so there we have it. That was John Carney. What a guy. Mm. What a fascinating podcast really interesting what an angle i think he took on that as well I know, unique indie filmmaking approach but never never feeling small always feeling huge character wise and i know he's yeah. got his amazing back catalogue to lean on yeah but so what it, it doesn't mean every time's a new setup it's a new mm. way of trying to raise money and i love i love that he's just gone out and gone yeah i'm just gonna find a new idea yeah. something that works for me something i love and go and do it mm. legend it's not about how big it is it's how big how how well written and the the characters are and, and how good the acting is really and and you know being up being able to tie those elements t- together for sure i'd be i'd be interested if he um you know he mentioned film noir and um Maybe his next film could be Dublin Indemnity. <laughs> I'm doubling over with your uh, terrible pun. Doubling on up that. on it. <laughs> yeah, stop it. Stop it. Um, so there we have it. Look, that was John Carney. What an amazing guy. Flora and Son is out. It's out now. Go watch it. If you've got Apple TV, if you haven't signed up, it's totally worth it. And this film is fantastic. So you can do it too. Believe in yourself. Go out there, write the best script you can, find an idea, be inspired by stuff around you and stuff you care about. Do as John has done and go out there. Steal that thing from the skip. (laughs) Absolutely, whatever it may be. And go out there and make your film. You do you. (laughs) You do you. Just don't get caught and say that we didn't tell you to do it. And uh... (laughs) The Filmmakers Podcast is not the (laughs) important thing of any kind.
<laughs> as your lawyer. And、um, yeah, and if you're lucky enough to rise up and do well, it's your duty to send the skip back down again. Hey, or the trash can. Trash? No, what was it?、Um, garbage、uh, can. Dumpster. Dumpster. Or send the dumpster back down.、Go. That sounds good. Yeah. That. For those of you in America. Yeah. Which is a lot of you. So thank you for listening.、Yeah. You are all amazing,、uh, and I look forward to hearing about how you've made your film. Uh, and get on the filmmakers podcast. Email us if you have done so at filmmakerspod at gmail dot com.、Um, yeah. Brilliant. Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Charles. We will see you all next Tuesday. Take care, everyone. Bye. I'm not going to sing. Bye. You should, Tom. You've got a great voice. Goodbye. I take it back. <laughs> <laughs>